Well, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back once again to the Ascent Podcast. My name is Brian, and I'll be your guide as we continue to work our way towards self-excellence. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing in on how to cultivate a more equitable and fulfilling culture. And we're going to dive into this at many different levels. But to start, we really want to start focusing on our educational system because we feel that that's one of the most important areas as we continue to move forward that we need to really be cognizant of how do we structure it? What do we make the pieces and parts uh, of the system uh, kind of intertwined so that uh, kids get the education that they need, the education that they are receiving fits and feeds into the technology as we move forward, fits and feeds into uh, our social norms as we move forward, and many, many other things. Have a great panel with me today. I have uh, Vincent, who's with us, and he is really, I, I'm going to say he's an expert. He's going to probably say he doesn't want to be classified as that, but I'm going to call him an expert in some of the areas that, we, that we're going to be talking about, primarily because he has a lot of experience and knowledge. So, uh, Vince, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to throw a question out. Obviously, when we're talking about uh, educational system and how things are structured, what feeds and supports the educational system as we continue to move forward. One of my greatest concerns is, you know, we're starting to see a, a bigger divide between what technology is bringing to the table, how the system is being able to support that from a training and development, uh, getting back to as young as even middle school and obviously through high school and on to college and wherever else it might be to make sure that people are trained in the right fashion to manage technology is one piece. But then what about the more traditional type jobs where you have uh, laborers, where you have craftsmanship and different things like that. Because I also think that as we move forward, everything can't be in tech. We're still going to need these other industries to continue to be supported. But what, are we, what do we need to start to think about now and maybe get into place from a cultural standpoint in our educational system to really be able to support us as we move forward? Aloha, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is a great topic and, and one that I've spent a lot of years kind of evolving, not only on a personal level, but also on a professional level. You know, I think really when I started this journey, I started looking at from my own experiences, you know, from Hawaii, but grew up in Asia, you know, going through a lot of the educational systems there, and then taking specific looks at technology and agriculture and seeing how others around the world have been evolving their own. And the one thing that I think really kind of sits with me as I've, you know, gone through this whole journey is looking at the generational side of things. When we think about, you know, my parents who are the baby boomers to my generations, Gen X to Gen Y, the millennials and the Gen Zs, and now to my kids who are, you know, generation alpha, it's fascinating to see how much <clears throat> our age and culture and the social societal norms and all these things overlaid with the evolution of the internet the dot-com boom and now as we talked about ai how mm -hmm. that's impacted and affected things mm -hmm. and i think the thing that really resonates to what i see as this trend is you know some cultures some geographies some countries have really taken a hard look at Okay, well, you know, we, we came out of the World War II 
you know, our current generation has never seen major economic strife like wars, et cetera, you know, and so now <clears throat> it allows our participants, our students, et cetera, to really kind of take a look at, well, what is life like? And now this whole movement around work-life balance and, uh, and all these things has really kind of brought it to, to the forefront. We see things like, uh, you know, the great resignation as a really interesting data point where we're looking at, okay, people don't want to work for jobs or cultures or environments that are not fulfilling to their own values. And that I think is really the core to look at the values driven approach of what the education and the future of education will be, especially around traditional industries like mm -hmm. ag and manufacturing and, and whatnot. Yeah, agreed, one hundred percent. You know, you mentioned something there that I, I think a lot of people, um, you know, were aware of, and some obviously directly directly impacted by you know the Great Resignation and, and those kinds of things. Uh, so that's a, a big part of it, and obviously that all kind of brew out of the pandemic and, and getting us through that. But what another trend I think we're also seeing that I think culturally industries need to get prepared for is what I'm calling the, the great never apply in the first place. Because as you said, when you get into the newer generations, the younger generations, they are discovering that, you know, why would I go work for someone for $60,000, $70,000 a year when I can sell stuff on eBay or become an Amazon affiliate or start a YouTube channel and make that same type of money as a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it. So that's another area where I think we, again, that still all revolves around technology because those are things that are happening on the, on the device that's physically in someone's hand, right? For the most part. So uh, that's another layer to it that I think we really have to take into account as to how that's going to start to impact the availability of uh, work workers and, and people to fulfill the, the jobs that we do need, you know, in the larger corporation structure. And then how does that then also shift uh, the, just the normal demographics of what areas people strive to be in when they when they start their careers and, and have those types of mindsets? It's kind of interesting when you when you're talking. I was thinking about my kids, and you know, when when I remember when I was growing up, you know, you have these these kind of role models or these heroes. And when I think back of let's just say my my parents' generation you know, and you're going through all the different types of job functions or whatnot. Of course, it was doctors and lawyers and, and engineers and this and the other. And then you fast forward to my kids, they're like, no, we want to be YouTubers and right. <clears throat> right. we want to be Mr. Beast. And, and uh, you right. know, what was it? My, my soon to be nine-year-old told me, yeah, Mr. Beast is up to 171 million followers, subscribers. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, and he's, he's generating something some crazy thing, like a million dollars a year, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm just like, I, I can't even fathom what this new type of, it's not even gig economy structure. It's like this whole different type of content <clears throat> generators, you know? Yeah. yeah. They, they are saying that by 2025, which is like next week, when we really think about it, that that economy will be worth $500 billion a year. Uh, that's a lot of money. Right. Just in people who are doing, you know, uh, online influencers and online selling and 
YouTube channels and different things like that, that there is that much revenue in that. Uh, so that is really changing uh, the structure of things. And uh, even, I mean, and another thing I kind of equate that to, and which is really interesting because you have your big players out there, the, the larger corporations, and they still, a lot of them traditionally from a marketing standpoint, uh, would prefer to do a spend $100,000 on producing a TV commercial, right? Because they think that traditionally that's the way things would work versus spend $10,000 to promote 100 social media posts. When in today's world, you actually get more benefit out of that 10,000 and those social media posts than you do spending $100,000 to produce a commercial. But they haven't made that mindset shift yet. And that's really what we're talking about now is from a workforce standpoint, educational standpoint, et cetera. Now's the time where we need to try to get ahead of the curve and not have to be in this reactionary position. And that's really what I want, why I wanted to bring this to the table. You know, it, 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 uh, I think at the end of the day, when we think about this particular subject, when we think about the evolutionary side of things, we talk about, you know, themes like culture because culture is everything. And we, to me, it boils down to, like fear, you know, fear of change, fear of risk, fear of failure, all these things. Because at the end of the day, when you think about, um, you know, our employees, when you think about all these folks that are involved, uh, you know, it's job security, it's mm -hmm. uh, pensions, it's this, that, and the other. And and that's really when I think about my reference to the to the boomer, to the X, Y, and Z generations. Yeah, I mean, we all see it today where gen z is not going to rely on social security and and whatnot and we see all these different economic things where you know it's it's got to have to be something where you truly enjoy what you do and you no longer look at work as work but mm -hmm. it's a part of your values and yeah the the the, the company man you know as defined is is that's in the past it's in and the past. uh and, you know, and now it's really about honoring the individual and ensuring that they are invested, they are appreciated, and there's a place where they are respected and um, allowed to evolve. Agreed, 100%. And, you know, the, like you said, the company man is, is definitely uh, a thing of the past as generationally. And Chris, I'm going to transition to you because I want to phrase this in a way. Uh, obviously, coming from uh, an industry restaurateur and, and those types of things, as well as some of the tech things in your background, um, just as we've talked about before, you know, we, maybe what our grandfathers did, and then what our fathers did, and now us, and then moving on to our children, as as Vince mentioned a moment ago about his kids now saying, you know, no, I want to be on a, a YouTuber kind of thing. Um, when we really look at that from a educational standpoint and you know how the system is supporting us you know back then you know you went to school with the thought of i want to be x right so and that you know you come out of school and you go into the workforce and you you do x y or z and another piece of that is there were a lot of trades and trade schools you know i mean in schools i mean it's, it's funny and i don't think they have any of these programs in the schools today but we used to have metal shop we used to have wood shop and, and different things like that when I was in school because it taught you and you could figure out or find out if you had a skill 
for those types of crafts. Uh, but where are those things in our educational system today uh, is because there's no value in the marketplace for that because things have changed so much? Or is it just a focus of the natural growth, is, as we said, X, Gen X and then Y and then Z, and now we're, we're back to Gen A again, uh, that those things have just fallen off the table? So, Chris, from your standpoint, obviously working in restaurants and you've a lot of your employees from a restaurant standpoint typically tend to be younger in age, maybe college students who are you know working part time. What has been the sense you've gotten from where they are from an educational just mindset standpoint? Well, first of all, let's 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 kind of back up for a second. So it used to be when we when we came up, there was typically two slash three traditional paths so you either had so when so I, i'm a product of the midwest so okay so you can imagine we're talking factories we're talking um trades things of that nature but so typically the two the two predominant paths were you're either going to pick up a trade and that depends on where you know how you know what, what kind of household you grew up in slash uh maybe even a factory job that was the I, that's the third one i'm sorry and then the other would be you're going to college. Mm -hmm. So those are your typical three paths. And to a lesser degree, there's a fourth one, which was sports. Back when we were coming up, the money that's in sports today was not there. Okay. So, like I said, um, I learned to work from my grandparents who were government, you know, they were uh, government workers um, in, in, in education, they were school teachers and things of that nature. Um, I've always been a capitalist. I mean, I just, I don't know what it is about me. Uh, you know, I saw that that was very intriguing to me watching people, you know, actually make money. Um, and I was supposed to go the traditional route of college. And for some reason, I, I'm, I'm going to guess now, if I look back on it, my entrepreneurial, you know, uh, the vein in my body with that as an entrepreneur kind of, kind of skewed that off a little bit. Cause I never finished. I mean, I went, but I never finished. Um, but I also think that those traditional paths are still available. I just don't, I, I think now we've got a different landscape. So all these new things and with the advent of the internet and so far and so on. And, and, and even to, uh, I won't even say to a lesser degree, the, the sports, the sports route. So you got these kids now that are coming up and they're that at the age of 11, 12, 13, they know they want to be a professional athlete. So they put all they pour all their energy into that. You're, you're seeing it every day. And I, you know, I'm, we're big basketball fans and I'm watching these kids and I'm like, where did you come from? You know, what I mean, because usually you could it was a traditional path and you could see you could see these kids coming. Well, there's so many of them now. You can't you know, I can't keep up. I mean, I mm -hmm. literally can't keep up. Mm -hmm. But um, to come back to your point about what I'm seeing in, from the restaurant standpoint, I think there'll always be um, room for those traditional um trades and job functions um because there are there's still there while the segment may be shrinking there's still a segment out there of folks that want to go you know like i said from 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 my labor pool of being a restaurant guy um my labor pool is typically either folks that didn't want to go to school or folks that were going to school and this was a stop off point for them so a lot of times you look at it and you, you look at a, a potential candidate or somebody you're going to hire and you're like Okay, I'm gonna have them for X amount of time, and you plan that. You know what I mean? So you don't, you know. And I, be honest with you, when I when I, I'm I don't have a restaurant today. Obviously, you know that. 
Um, my biggest challenge is do I want to get back in and have to struggle with this, this pool of workers that I'm going to potentially have to struggle with because everybody's not going to be on board with what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Everybody's not going to be about the mission. They're going to, you know, it's, it's really a lot more gratification to the individual. Um, but um, what was I trying to say? Um, but like I said, the, the, um, oh God, I lost my train of thought. That's all right. Cause I got a question for you. Cause you brought up a good point. Um, you know, you, you talked about having to get back into that pool of, you know, what's available out there and, events and this is a, another point that we wanted to talk about um the mindset has shifted you know just of the typical worker and, and what it is they expect want need out of the entity that they work for no matter what the size big or small so it and obviously in the economy that we're in right now the the worker is king because there are more jobs that are available than uh people to fulfill them so that they can really demand kind of what it is that they want or need. So Vince, from that standpoint, as a company, um, and then even from an educational standpoint, what can we start to do to help uh, companies position themselves better so that they are competitive to attract people to come in and, and want to go to work for them? Because a lot of that is, is culturally based too, as to, um, you know, why I want to go work for this company or why I want to be in this particular industry. Uh, there are, I think, a lot of things that we can need to look at and start to do to start to position those types of industries and companies in a, a little bit better light so that they can get the talent that they need to continue to grow and flourish. It's interesting. When I went to B school, one of the books or kind of required reading was, was Jim Collins' Good to Great. And it was looking at why some companies, you know, Fortune, I think they took the data of like the Fortune 1000 companies and the data showed that only 10% made it past 10 years. And so you think about some of these major corporations that we had growing up and in, in my parents and then obviously your and my generation too, most of those companies are no longer around, most. And then you think of this evolution through the dot-com bubble, which huge, tremendous growth and and then you see this rise and fall where, you know, a lot of folks literally bet the bank on, on these companies to make it big. And some made tremendous amounts of money, but most didn't. And then you think about this evolution around what's, what's kind of coined conscious capitalism. So the idea is uh, there's this new evolution of the consumer and we dictate where we spend our dollars when we're looking at side-by-side -side products or services what are some of the key points and key components within why we decide to pick one over the other and that's that piece in my mind and many other researchers minds we're thinking about you know i want to support an organization that values its employees i want to support an organization that allows for uh gender and, you know, LGBTQ plus and BIPOC and, and then beyond that too, I want to support organizations that are looking at supporting the environment, doing kind of uh, sustainable practices. So to me, when we think about education, when we think about capitalism, when we think about this whole thing, 
the end of the day, it's it's really kind of a reaffirming values conversation for the leadership of every single organization, especially those that are publicly run. You know, it's it's uh, it's no longer purely driven based on profits. Yes, profits have to be the core because when you think about industry, when you think about sustain like financial sustainability, that trumps everything. But then you also have to factor in what are the decisions we make in terms of our supply chain and how our supply chain has to ensure that we're not employing child labor and we're doing things that are, you know, good for the environment. And we're, we're, we're really kind of looking at this longer holistic life cycle. And it's interesting, too, when we bring it back to home where, you know, the three of us are living now and, and we look at how native cultures so we think about whether it's the Native Hawaiians or the Native Americans, et cetera, and how the mentality and the culture and the values are driven around multi-generational decision-making. And it's not just through time, but also looking at, let's just say the commons as another key stakeholder in this, you know, our, our natural resources and making decisions that are in the best interest of the commons that adds this whole other perspective, which in my mind really brings into the whole educational value side and the culture side and everything else too on a greater level. Because if we're not looking at the commons and we're looking at all the different components of how we live, where we live, why we live, why we do the things we do, you know, that's, that's really, I think, that values component because I've seen so many organizations kind of try to evolve through this. And then realize that they're not living their values. They're talking about it. They're, they're idealizing it. But at the end of the day, when they make those very small decisions on, you know, can you work from home? You know, uh, do we value uh, carpooling? Do we allow for this, that, and the other? I mean, it all adds up and feeds up to this thing, which is in essence where we are today, where we want to be tomorrow, and how we stay relevant. 100% agree with you on that. And that's, that's a great point. Because, uh, as you said, as a, you know, you start your company, you have your organization, you have your values that you're, you have there, and your company mission statement, and all those other things that traditionally, you, you know, you pull together. Uh, but the key component is, are you actually living and breathing those things day in, day out? And, and your uh, your actions, your planning for for what you want to do, and I think that's a key component to it. You know, is 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 that part of it? You know, we want we say we are X, but we're acting like Q. You know, you're totally not even in the same realm uh, as as to what you want to portray yourself to be, and that also I think um, is where a lot of the confusion comes from for us as employees. You know, the, the, the workforce, per se, is because we see this and we say, well, yeah, I do want to go be part of that culture. Once, but once I'm inside, then I start to learn that the culture that I thought it was is not the culture that it is at all. And that's, so then there becomes this disconnect um, of buy-in of, and many other things that the, the, the worker, you know, has for that entity. So then now you kind of have this thing where you are, uh, kind of conflicted, right? Because I need the job because I have a mortgage to pay and this and that and the other thing. But so it's feeding that side of what I need, but it's not 
feeding the other pieces of what I need as an employee too. And I think that's one area that uh, gets overlooked quite a bit is like, when I want to say overlooked, I'm talking about it from the corporate level, the, the company level is what are the true needs of the employees, your workforce, other than the paycheck, getting outside of that box with, with, with the paycheck piece of it. So Chris, I know you've had, as we said, you know, being in a restaurant business, is that something you've ever really thought about? Because um, obviously, yes, you're trying to make money and you've got, you know, things that you're responsible for. But have you really given that piece of the pie some thought as to what my employees need other than the dollars and cents? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I really think, um, you know, it's really about engagement. So anybody that's working for you, you know, we've, we've talked about We've talked about this for years the uh the drinking of the proverbial kool-aid mm-hmm. uh, so every you know, i don't care how big or small your organization is it it typically wants to uh, it wants to revolve around uh, some type of a culture a corp you know and like i said it doesn't matter if it's a five-man company or a 50-man company you you have to establish something you know that from the top down you have to uh create this culture that you'd like to see you know in in my case um, so you want to, there's a, there's a component within that worker that you want to, I, wanna, I think for lack of a better choice, you want to activate in them so that it engages them more with your particular uh, service or um, mission statement of your business. Um, so there's that emotional side besides the, I'm going to teach you how to make a sandwich or, you know, make a burger or make a smoothie or or, or whatever it is, whatever have you, um, but there's this an emotional cultivate. Because just you know, go back, you said, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of young. You know, we're talking about young. You know, we're talking about young workforces typically, right? So those are the ones that are more obviously with the advent of the internet and so many other things going on that used to that you didn't have to used to factor into there. You literally have to try to keep their attention. You know what I mean? Literally try to get them invested in what you're trying to do, as opposed to. I'm just coming to get my check. Now, now, let's be clear. They are, you know, there are still going to be a lot of them that are coming to just to get their check. I get that. You know what I mean? And, and I don't really have an issue. I don't have a, an issue with that. My thing is, and our jobs as uh, business owners and, 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 and folks that are in charge, management, whatever, is to keep them engaged. You know what I mean? It's really to keep them, you know, locked in for, you know, for whether it's a four-hour shift, six-hour shift, or eight-hour shift trying to keep them as best you can locked in uh, for the mission at hand. You know, we're, we're, you know, in my particular instance, we're talking about customer service. That's what we're talking about. Right. Take the product out of it. It's still a customer service driven situation. And that's how you get your repeat business out. That's how people keep coming back is their experience. You know, I was thinking about this uh, when we were doing pre-production when you talk about robots and AI and stuff like that. Well, you know, that's all grand, you know, and I'm, and I'm all down for that. But some of this is really about the, the human experience, okay? Yeah, you can get, you know, there's stuff like that already in the restaurants where there, there's an automated tray that comes out and drops your stuff at your table. You know, we, 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 you've been seeing that for the last, you know, year and change or more. But like I said, it's really that human interaction um, that I bank on. I mean, that's what that's what gets me, you know, warm and fuzzy about going to a certain place. It's how I'm spoken to, how I'm addressed. You know, so it's very simple stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking rocket science here, but 
to a lesser degree, that now becomes part of the educational system that we've been talking about, because you are really trying to educate young folks that maybe depending on where they come from, whatever their homes, their home umbrella is, how they've been fed, how they've been nurtured, are they, have they been fed and nurtured to, you know, look people in the eye and address them? You know what I mean? Things of that nature. Um, like I said, because of the fact that now that we have these communicating devices that, you know, pretty much talk to us, you know what I mean? We don't, we, we don't necessarily have to respond. So you, you know, you get in those type of things where that, that whole mindset has been cultivated where I don't have to talk, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I, I definitely think it's a necessary thing that has to, can, we can't let it die. We, we, we just cannot. I mean, um, that's society. I mean, you know, I'm one of those type of people that I, I need, I need human stimulation. You know what I mean? I need, I need somebody to get me going. Um, yeah. so I think that's a, that's something that, um, us as leaders and us as, uh, folks that have been around for a while, we cannot let go of. We, we you have to keep got to keep water in that tree you know what i mean and you got to keep emphasizing that and you got to you know like i said you're not going to get through to all of them it's one thing i had to learn a long time ago is that you're not going to get through to everybody you know all these young people some of them they shut you know they they have a way of shutting you down you know what i mean whether they're sitting there looking at you and agreeing with everything you're talking about only so much of it is going in and staying in mm -hmm. a lot of it's going in and going right back out the other side so you have to be conscious of that um, mm -hmm. and, and know who you're, you know, if, if you're paying attention, you'll learn who you're dealing with. Agreed. You'll know where, you know, what you'll know, you'll figure out what the part that they play in your particular organization and how much of an asset they can or cannot be. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as, as Chris is talking too, and because of his experience working in the food service side of things and restauranteering, et cetera, I think you've got, I would say, the majority of his client or majority of his staff were millennials, right? And and uh, what was it? I think it was Time Magazine was talking about how the millennial generation is the me, me, me generation. And it's interesting because I feel like because I know Chris and because I know who he is and because he cares, you know, even though you're right, you need to have that level of of authentic customer service, which I am a firm believer. I've always told my kids, you know, get a job in food and beverage because it, it doesn't just challenge the individual to figure out how to interact with someone, but also you, you, you self-reflect on how you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important. And I guess, you know, Chris, could you talk about, you know, how it is where you've cultivated this culture around respect and and you know it's like a parent you know you want to be respected but it's it's like i'm going to call you out when you need to be better or you need to be better or i need to train you to understand what's going on in talking to a customer you know and showing up in the right mindset i mean that's hard because that's a that's a lot of self-reflection for mm -hmm. all of you yep agreed so Vince, I'm going to throw this to you, but let me kind of tell you where I got this from. And listening to what Chris was just saying, a couple of things came out of that. Um, one, we were talking about, you know, just in general, how he wants to be interacted with and the human experience of it. So, and, and, and 
at the root of it, from a human nature standpoint, we are social beings. We need that social interaction. However, because of the internet and the phone in your hand and many other things that have developed, the medium in which we are social has changed, right? And it's evolved to a little bit different level. So figuring how that murky water of how to keep the true human face-to-face communication, eye contact, whatever else it might be, as part of the skill set that we need, I think is, is an important piece of it. So that's one part. And then Chris also said something in there early in his thing about top-down uh, from a, you know leadership and you know the culture starts here and it's top-down. And Vince, I'd like to hear your thoughts, especially since you've had experience uh, living abroad, seeing uh, other organizational cultures and how they're structured. And is top-down really the best way to structure an organization from a cultural standpoint? And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. It's, it's okay. So what do you got options? Top-down, bottom-up, you know, I feel like there's, there's a lot, majority of the ones that, that are successful, you know, are, are kind of a mix of both. Ultimately speaking, you know, especially when you think about the movement of a, a company, a startup company evolving into a, a midsize and then a larger company. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about in the entrepreneurial innovation space, there's a value of death. And, and a lot of those references are, are based off of, you know, the growth, the revenue, the product market fit and all these other things. But then there's also a really bigger challenge too. And <laughs> it's, it's interesting whenever now you go to Whole Foods because that's a fascinating use case. And my reference point is uh, Whole Foods was was viewed for a long time as this this socially, environmentally, economically conscious organization, you know, uh, in the whole conscious capital, capitalism realm. Yeah, um, you know, the founder, the whole store, everything. And then now it's owned by Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see the evolution around that organization and what has impacted the culture there from the employees, you know, because you're no longer this kind of grassroots-ish kind of, of company and you're trying to do good. You're now owned by this gazillionaire. And, and does that have played impact on, you know, the bottom-up approach, which has been kind of the foundation for a lot of these conscious companies? Because the employee's voice, the community's voice, the consumer's voice has always been in the forefront. And, and it, it's a tough one because you, when you bring in another individual in a leadership role who, you know, let's just say has their own let's, attachment styles, you know, so avoid and they're anxious. And then you bring in a lot of imposter syndrome and you bring in a lot of things in terms of ego and insecurities and fear and then what does that do to impact the culture from the top down? And then how do you write the ship too to ensure that there's checks and balances? Because today, now when you see in, in any organization, you know, that level of transparency, that level of fairness, even down to the degree of the, the, the disparity between compensation, like that alone, just start with that one, you know? And, and you talk about, you know, what is fair, what is right, and then the, the margins and then the wealth that are being produced for a lot of these organizations. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, and, you know, one thing I just made a note, because we 
mentioned this earlier, we we're talking about um, value um, and, and, and using that as a term, you know, uh, and that's something that employees look at now when they look at an organization. I want to go work for X, Y, or Z because there I think I will feel valued uh, and that kind of thing. So in my mind, when, when someone says that, then value to me kind of says that would be or equate more to an organization which is bottom up kind of thing versus top down because, you know, the, the frontline people uh, or appear to be, have more value and, and have more influence over what goes on. But that might not necessarily be the case. I think it's all in how you frame it. So, you know, I think that's another important part is to understand as a culture, as you're creating a culture within your organization, how do you manage and communicate that? Uh, and so that's probably my question to you. Uh, Vince is from a communicating standpoint. What have been the trends that you have seen that have been effective? What have been some of the things that you have noticed that just from your perspective have not been an effective way that the message is actually getting from the top to the bottom or bottom to the top uh, and, and, and in either direction? I think it's, it's twofold. One is leading by example. Okay. You know, at the end of the day, employees, staff, um, everyone, you know, that are, that are following these cues based on the values that the company has decided to move and hold near and dear, you know, you got to lead by example. And that's, that's a really tough one to do, you know, going back to the earlier comment about, you know, living your, your, your values. And then the other one too, is, as you said, the communication side of things and how many times communicated, how is it, uh, how do you have a feedback loop where, people or others are not fulfilling those somehow some way and really it's just in my mind setting expectations so you know the the, the education side the trend side the reaffirming side the um you know bringing the the, the staff together and having investing in this community driven you know both on the the different departments, but also as a company wide, like that appreciation, that that validation piece is so big. And then, but now you have this older separate side, which is the the community looking in at the organization and valuing it. And I think that's that's fascinating to me when we when we take it back to the generational conversation, where we take it back to the gig economy side of things, and bring it to this other thing is how do you in today in this very transactional world where you know you go to a restaurant now and you're ordering on an app you're ordering on a screen and you're you're eliminating that interpersonal communication you're limiting that and you're taking that whole experience as chris would say is you know the value to him of what he wants and it's likely also that's a generational thing as well because when we grew up that was part of it but now when you eliminate that today and you make it more of a you know here's what I want. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have that. I, I take all that out there. I want my, I want my happy meal and I'm, I'm out of here. You know, well, what kind of experience is it now? And, and even in that McDonald's use case model, you see this trend now where they're, they're creating, you know, these more cafe styles, you know, they're, they're bringing it back full fold in the European markets and the Asian markets where they're, they're bringing it, you know, bringing it back. And it's now you have this different level of experience where it's like, yeah, you know, for all those folks that just want to churn and burn and they're just like, here it is versus here's the folks that want to sit down 
have a really great cup of espresso or coffee, talk to people, experience that, and, and stay a while. And that's, I think, the, the change in the marketplace, too, based on the change in the generations. Great. So let's bring it back to education, because um, one of the things you mentioned there, and you know, you're just talking about the, the kiosk. Now you walk into a McDonald's or pretty much any of the fast food places, and there's not anybody at the counter anymore. I mean, it, the, the, the job doesn't exist. It's kind of interesting. So you go to the kiosk, you key in your order, you pay for it right there, and then they call your number and you, you take it and you do what you want to do with it. Uh, so a little bit different environment. Uh, what can we start to look at from an educational system standpoint to um, help those people who are going to be filling those jobs? Because now having that skill set, as Chris mentioned a while ago, of being able to communicate, have that customer service vibe, those type things are almost not even a requirement of the job. However, that type of interaction is still, I think, an important thing in life just in life in general. So, but if they're not getting or getting fed that, taught that, trained that by their entity that they work for anymore, you know, going to a customer service class. I mean, you know, we can all say probably sometime in our careers, we had to go through a customer service class because that was part of what it took. I think a lot of the companies now don't even have that as something that they train their employees on because, well, the kiosk takes care of the customer. Our employees don't. So we are starting to see, I think, a, a bit of a divide in the educational system for some of those things. And then over time, that becomes a skill that literally falls off the table. And it's not just in the workplace. It is also outside of the workplace because part of what we're talking about is education. The other half of what we're talking about here is work-life balance. So there's your work life. There is your life outside of work. So what is your skill set and your, your ability to communicate? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, look like there too, and what's the responsibility, I guess, of the educational system, or is it just something the parent is responsible for teaching? I mean, it can really go deep when you start to think about how those things are kind of just falling by the wayside. So I, I'll start with you, Vince, and then I'll go to Chris next, just to get your thoughts on that piece of it. There's this uh, really famous quote by Peter Drucker who talks about culture eating strategy for breakfast and technology for lunch and, you know, kind of bring it all back together when we talk about the, the interpersonal communication skills. Uh, I remember right out of college, uh, someone told me to read this book, you know, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just reread it again, maybe about a year ago. And, you know, that's the piece, too, that brings the whole work-life component together because when you think about the fulfilling workplace, when you think about the fulfilling life, when you think about as it pertains to work-life balance and how when work is engaging on both sides of it, you know, it's, it's life-affirming. And... You know, I, I don't think we'll ever get away, at least in the next generation or two. I think it's really going to be about aligning and investing. And that investment has to start at a young age. I mean, this needs to be a component when we talk about, you know, uh, pre-K and we think about investing in our teachers and we think about valuing, you know, again, 
some of the most important individuals that are molding our future generations and ensuring that their their values and their lives are taken care of because they're investing in the future generations. I mean, in Hawaii alone, just looking at the value of public versus private education, that's a telling kind of data point where, well, we need to really push that forward. And then you bring it back to the whole, the worker side. And I think you mentioned this before, the, the American dream. Well, the American dream has evolved so much. And, you know, part of me from a, from an economics perspective thinks that, you know, things will eventually work out, however they work out, whichever they work out because that, but then the other part of me too is, is looking at models that are a little in the advance. And that's why the European side of things is so interesting to me because they've been doing things, you know, a lot longer than we have in the United States. So to me, when I see how they work around, you know, local foods and valuing the farmer and farmer's markets versus what we're seeing today, which is you know, we go to Costco and we spend five to 600 bucks a pop and we have all this excess and supply and this consumerism, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a telltale to how we interact both on the private side in our lives, but then also on the work side too. So. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and you know, you brought up something and we'll come back to that because I, I made a note, but Chris, I want to go to you now and just kind of get your feel on um, that. Just the whole piece of it, you know, tying together the, what we need from a, a social norm standpoint, communication, how the educational system. And when I say educational system, obviously that's, traditional schooling, as well as what the companies are responsible for training and gearing their employees to, so they can be successful. So th that whole piece of it. Excuse me. <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I thought of this earlier when I, when we were, I don't remember which segment of what we were talking about, but it has definitely, from my perspective, um, equally important to train your employees or pers prospective employees on more than just making the sandwich, making a smoothie. Literally, it's putting back the communicate, you know, the communicate. because a lot of times what happens is we can, you, like I said, you can train these young people. Um, I think you can train them to do almost anything. Now you're going to find along the way, you're going to find the ones that are more willing and the ones that are less willing. I think you always have to invest time into all of them. So in other words, I don't, if I see one is, you know, you, you have, it's, it's back to figuring out what people's strong points are. You know what I mean? You have to, that's something that I think sometimes employers, especially on a larger scale, don't look at, well, what is this person's strength versus their weakness? You, sometimes you're going to get some, you know, some A players that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're ready, willing, and able across the board. And then you've got the ones that you've got to, you know, you've got to really, work with them to get them um you can see this and first and foremost you have to be able to see that the, there's skill there you have mm -hmm. to be able to see that that's you have to be able to i okay i didn't you know well maybe they're not spitting polished on on certain levels but i can identify some skills within them they just may not have been cultivated on you know on their home front you know i mean you get a lot of kids that they don't you know they don't want to have the you know and, and the exchanges are short but 
and a lot of times what happens is we're and we're talking about in areas where there's a problem you know what i mean i don't think a lot of these young people today have been taught to problem solve you know mm -hmm. what i mean it's it's made into this huge thing um you know conflict you know what i mean we, we start talking about conflict and, and challenge and things of that neighborhood those are like really bad words for for certain young people and it's like you know they don't want anything to do with it now folks like us we're actually we're actually trained and taught to deal with conflict to deal with challenge mm -hmm. you know because a lot of it is you know it's a part of our everyday life you know having you know i say this every day somebody you know you've heard me say this a million times Vinny amber everybody's going through something today mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's everybody's going through something there's nobody that's not going through something in their day-to-day -day life but as an employer, as, as a leader, how do we condition the people that we're in charge of, the people that we have working for us to be able to handle these situations with, rel I won't say relative ease, but where it becomes a situation where you, 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 you understand how to, to deal with it and mm -hmm. a, to not make it, you know, to, to not make it personal. Cause I think there's a lot of times where you, you see all these, uh, I always, my mind wants to go back to you, you know, cause there's a million videos out there where somebody was at a fast food restaurant, they had an issue and the person that was working behind the counter took it personal, which now I understand it's hard to not take it personal when someone's, because a lot of times the person on the other side of the counter, they're, they don't have great social skills either. So all they can do is go on the attack for what they want or the perceived slight, you know what I mean? You, you know, because you put mustard on my burger and I didn't want mustard on it or, you, you did XXXX and, X, and I didn't want that. It's a personal attack on me. So they dig in and then, you know, it's, it just starts. You know what I mean? It literally just starts. Now, I'm one of those, and I went through this when I had my last, you know, I was 15 years of having a uh, restaurant slash cafe of having to teach my young people to do their best to not take it personal. This is not personally against you. It's, the organ it's the organization they're they're after the organization because we have we have somehow failed them and you need to understand that this is just a part of that process to be able to try to to re-satisfy that customer after we've dissatisfied them so and this is part of how you move through life you know what i mean if you you get these are skills that you work on early and then when you get to be our age you 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 pretty much kind of you, I won't say we're perfect at it or we've mastered it, but we're actually pretty good at dealing with people's you know issue, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, on a, uh, even either on a personal or a professional level. So um, that's the biggest thing I see, and I watch because I I'm, I'm a people watcher, so I'm mm -hmm. out all the time. And you look perfect. One of the perfect examples would be our our our. Uh, I guess our self-proclaimed watering holy days, we go to Whole Foods. And we were talking about this last night. I was like, on Fridays, Whole Foods uh, bar is not the place you really want to be You want if you want warm and fuzzy. Because for whatever reason, that's the oyster night. Those people are tightly wound on oyster night. I mean, you see some of the nicest, we deal with the same people in there. Monday through Thursday, they are some of the most wonderful people on the planet. But when you come to Friday, their world just goes upside down. They're just all, they're waiting for the fight. That's what I've been noticing. They're waiting for the fight. You know, they're actually loaded for the fight. Mm -hmm. As soon as someone, 
like you last night, Vinny, you were looking for your oysters, right? And the moment you asked, I could see the look on the face like, why are you asking me about your oysters? Well, you know, basically when they come, they come type thing. And it's not the norm for what you're getting, but for some reason, those folks have not been trained or educated to deal with something that you would think is very routine in nature. But for whatever reason, it just, you know, I told you this last night, Vinny, I was like, maybe I need to go offer my service. Maybe I need to go offer my services as, as a trainer um, so we can get these people to, 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 to just be okay. You know what I mean? Just to understand what their challenges is, what their challenge is to get this, for whatever reason, to get this product to the customer, which seems to be this monumental task. Uh, and, you know, just get it to where it's, Let's bring the temperature down in the room because I get anxious. I'll be honest with you. I don't order oysters. I don't typically order oysters, but I'm sitting in a room and I'm anxious as hell about something that I'm not even going to consume. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching everybody else just get worked up about this. And I'm like, these are grown. Let me, let me, let me back up. The wait staff is not teenagers. They're not even 20 somethings. We're talking people that are in her, 30s to late 30s to possibly 40s and they're having an issue how to deal with point a to point b over oysters yeah you know chris i want to jump in there because uh a slight story similar thing uh this is a situation where you've got a uh, an employee uh valued employee uh, and you know has someone has been with the, the organization for a few years and has shown value the company values them and they get paid x amount right um a new employee gets hired and find comes to the surface that the new employee is earning let's call it a dollar more per hour than the person who's been there for a year or so uh so the person gets upset about that right uh, because they feel like you know i've put in the work i deserve a raise but in, and this is where you talk about confrontation and conflict but instead of going to management and saying, hey, I've been here a year, I've put in the work, you know, blah, 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 I feel I deserve a raise, which is a legitimate conversation. They have every right to have. They would rather just quit the job to avoid that conflict and that confrontation, you know. And I've seen this happen a handful of times where to, instead of dealing with the issue, they'll choose the, the route of quitting and walking away versus actually being confrontational about something that's justified. So it's a very interesting thing. And again, where is that disconnect happening, I guess is my question. So Vince, I'll put that to you first. Is that a educational system disconnect? Is it a cultural thing just across the board because you know Gen Z, UI, maybe those types of things? Um, is it social media, internet, is it the company's responsibility because they didn't communicate properly that, you know, we have an open door. And if you have an issue, please bring it to us. I mean, what's your thought and what's been your experience with that? Well, I think for most of us too, you know, thinking about this on the, across the realm, both on private sector, government, et cetera, you know, the whole question around value as it pertains to compensation is a big one, which is why when you think about, you know, government levels of pay grades, it's it's tiered, you know, so it's really simple. It's like, you, if you do this based on these job descriptions, you get paid this mm-hmm. and you go up from whatever, 12 to 13 or whatever. 
And then even down to the private sector, like the consulting realm, that's all benchmarked. It's shared across the level. You know, I mean, I remember when I was working for KPMG, they told me, I'm like, oh, we need to, we need to give you an increase and in raise because you're at the lower end of whatever. This is right, right when I first started off out of college. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool because now the industry is defining what the different levels are between analyst, consultant, et cetera. So, you know, even bringing in the whole value of, of unions and, the, and, and how unions play a role in being the voice for all staff members and making sure it's fair and equitable, you know, someone's got to be looking out for you. And I think that, that what's coming down to this one is that if you're not looking after yourself, if you're not looking and, and, and valuing yourself and being willing and then on the other side of the coin, which is, you know, the ability for your voice to be heard. And again, I th- when I think of your situation that you kind of put together of like, well, if I, if I deserve this and I go to you, well, it's the, it's the fear of rejection. It's the fear of this. It's the fear of that, which is why it's like, well, they don't value me because if they value me, they would have given me a raise anyways. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's a tough one because I think at the end of the day, the culture of the organization ensuring and allowing every voice to be kind of put in through when you when you think you have this. Well, I guess the first question is, you know, going back to your situation, you know, how did how did this person even find out that they're getting paid a dollar less or whatever? You know, because that's that's to me, it's like, well, that's interesting because uh you know, that brings up a whole separate kind of uh, can of worms, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, well, I, I'm assuming that these two individuals were, were doing the exact same job function, you know, or whatever it is, because if not, then, well, then how do you justify that this person makes more? Um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of, it has to be both, you know, we have to one ensure that we set the expectation of our company organization that, if you have this challenge or whatever, oh, you're not doing this, you know, this is the reason why you're getting paid this. Mm-hmm. And then on the, on the flip side of that, too, is you have to be able to, you know, show and set the expectation, too, that if you were to increase your certification levels or become more competitive or be able to do more or cross train or whatever, then you are eligible for higher pay or more career opportunities. And, you know, that that brings it back to how we first started this conversation, which is, you know, that whole idea of are you just a task rabbit, which is kind of the whole gig economy, or are you a contributing member to this organization where there is a future career that's going to be in the decades or longer, or how do you see these individuals staying? You know, is it is it going to be this transactional, like in the food and beverage industry where they kind of come in for a short period of time, but they're not viewed as a, a lifer or a long-term, you know, and that's just part of the expectation. Mm-hmm. And so again, it always comes down to culture. It always comes down to this. It always comes down to expectations. Yeah. And like I said, the, the key component there is how it's communicated, right? Or if it's communicated at all, yeah. another example would be, I mean, and obviously the landscape right now, as we said earlier is, I mean, definitely leaning way towards the employee side of having the advantage because of the number of available jobs versus people to take them. And, you know, 
we we're not necessarily talking about doctors and lawyers here. We're Target, for example, uh, and they're you know offering whatever they want to pay an hour, seventeen, eighteen dollars an hour, which is a decent wage to work at a Target. But then they're also to try to get quality people in, offering new hires a two thousand dollars signing bonus, right? Well, what about me? I've been here two years. You know, right. I may be making that same dollar per hour as a new person, but I'm not getting the two thousand dollars. You know, uh, so where is the equity in that type scenario, and then how is that being communicated internally, if at all? Also, and, and I think this goes back to, to events what you were saying earlier about internally from a corporate culture standpoint. How are you showing the value and the equity to your staff, to your employees over time from a mission statement, from a, you know, here are our values that we have within the organization? Because, yes, you do have to be competitive, but you also have to realize that you have a, a base that's already there, right? And then and ma managing that piece of it. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And I can't say that there's a right way or a wrong way but just more to think about than just, yeah, we need bodies, but how you go about getting that and then how it impacts the bodies you already have and many other things all play into the equation. I think there's actually a right way and a right way. And, you know, the wrong way is going to be a telltale based on retention and, you know, resignation or whatnot, you know, and, and, uh, I think that's another piece into in terms of how you factor in the communication and generational side of things too is you know i would say the 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 kind of the older generations are you know it's like if they're not voicing their concerns they're going to be quitting or they're quiet quitting is the term right. that that you know quiet quitting and then the younger generations are more like you know uh they stir stuff up and you know there's resolve and you can tell pretty much just looking at their work ethic or whatever and that's the piece, too, to bring it back. It's like, how do you create a culture within any organization that allows for, you know, that that pre being present, that checking in with them? Like, where's your mental state? Where, what's going on outside of you? Because whatever's happening outside of you is going to impact your your work life. And, and uh, oh, I was, I was talking to someone maybe a couple of weeks ago about this whole idea in the restaurant industry and how there's this term where, when someone is basically just like so overwhelmed they call out this this like audible and then everyone within the organization just shifts like that person just goes and takes a 15 minute break and then everyone else just without without even question just jumps in mm -hmm. you know and i feel like that that needs to be more involved in all of our side of things because it's not a matter of if but when we all just feel overwhelmed and how do we take care of our community, you know, and, and hold space for them and be present and be empathetic because holy cow, can you imagine a future where we're always valuing and looking after each other and just going after them? I mean, just think about how that impacts everything in, in terms of, uh, whew, like violence, you know, it's like, just, we need to, we need to be more present and we need to have a, a provide the opportunity for people to just say, Hey, you know what? Stuff happens, we get it, and we're here for you. Agreed, 100%. 100%. Thanks for sharing that. So the, the last thing I want to touch on, because we're, we're doing this in a two-part 
uh, series. So we're gonna we have more things that we really want to get into, but to obviously keep this one going on forever because some of the things we're gonna talk about when we do part two of this, we're gonna get into uh, you know organizational structures and really dig deeper into that, and especially non traditional type organizational structures, as well as talking about uh, management versus labor versus unions and in this day and age, what that all looks like and what the relevances are there. And, you know, do we even still need unions? And, and if, if we do, why and all, why not? And kind of digging into that piece of it. And then the last big piece is the equity and equality and gender and race bias uh, and all those things that obviously impact the culture that you establish and whatever it is, whether it's a work situation, a community uh, situation, school, whatever else it might be. So a lot more to talk about. But the, one of the things I do want to get into right now is really just talking about from a, I guess, prioritization standpoint. If we were to sit here and say, of what we discussed so far in your mind's eye, what would be like the, the top thing that you think really needs to have some focus and then maybe the second thing, you know, just from a prioritization standpoint to try to move us forward as individuals, but more so us forward from a, a unification entity educational system standpoint. Well, I'll start with you, Vince, and Chris, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that. For me, it's it's really figuring out, you know, who the individual is and, and taking it into my own personal life too. It's, it's figuring out my own triggers. It's figuring out my own attachment style. It's figuring out, you know, this whole multi-generational you can put as trauma in terms of how you, the individual is raised and why we think the way we do, why we feel the way we do. And then, you know, it's, it's beyond Myers-Briggs, you know, growing up, you start looking at a leadership style, you're doing this. And then more recently you're looking at, okay, well, there's a lot more to unpack here. Mm -hmm. And so as I go through my own transformation, evolution, identification, you know, I'm, I'm, I personally am sharing that with others and asking them, you know, what's your attachment style? Do you even know what that is? And then, and then breaking it down even more, because when you can figure that out, when you can hold space and you can be, you can be kind to yourself and, you know, being kind to yourself has a, in my, in my view, a two-part side of things too. It's, it's uh, we are our own worst enemies in terms of what we believe, what we strive for, what we set the bar up to because there's so much shame. And then the other side of things is, you know, it's, uh, it's everything else. It's all the externalities too. And, and being sure and being grounded is so important to us because you know, life is hard, right? I mean, it's as, as Chris was saying earlier, you don't know what someone else is going through in their life. And mm -hmm. just being able to, you know, hold space for them and say, you know what, uh, who knows what happened? Their, their grandparent or their parent must have, you know, could have passed away just yesterday, or they could be dealing with all this, whatever. They, their landlord could have kicked them out or whatever. I mean, again, it's, it's not to the point of like taking it personal on both sides, you know, and, and, and that's the piece to me, um, you know, we got to look inwards before we can look outwards. We got to figure out what our own values and our own culture is before we can then go and say, does this culture, did this organization, you know, align with my values? And, and if they don't, if there's a disconnect, 
or even even before that, if you don't even know what those are, then yeah, that's that's why we see this today. And um, you know, that's that's really I think my own personal component of this is we got to do more. We gotta we gotta identify and we gotta self reflect more. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. So, Chris, what about you? What would you say from a prioritization standpoint would be something that you know we we could do as individuals as well as entities to to just be better and do better um, from a, a culture and, and managing our cultures better? What well, honestly, I mean, it's in my mind, it's 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 simple and it's not. Um, I obviously, if you know me and you guys do know me, you know, I operate out of a I try to operate, let's, let's say that I try to operate out of a position of caring, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, a position of sharing knowledge, um, a, a position of uh, opening a door, um, allowing your people or even your friends to walk through that door, knowing that, you know, if you work for me, uh, I'll bounce back to that. If you work, if you work for me, then you know that I, I tend to run an, a caring operation. I want to care almost to the, you know, as long as it doesn't affect what we're trying to do. So in other words, I'm going to give you time because I think we're all in, at the end of the day, and I said this earlier on, we're talking about a collection of individuals that have been raised and a lot of them in different, I mean, sometimes it's the opposite, the spectrum is so wide as to how one person was raised versus another person was raised. You know, I know that we're going to talk about, um, um, equity and, and, and things like that. Um, but first and foremost, understanding that everybody comes from different backgrounds. You, I mean, the reality is that the workforce is typically di- is a very diverse workforce. I know you back in the day, you would try to get these typically the, what they met a certain criterion. And a lot of that was, it was a visual criterion to begin with. And then it segued into a little more, you know, below the surface, you know, what you're about and, you know, what your beliefs is. And sometimes even you're, you know, I know you're not supposed to bring religion into this, but sometimes even that um, is, is something that helps you to determine what you're dealing with. Um, but more importantly, I think it's, it's, you really have to put the emphasis back. You know, we've been talking about it. Basically we've been talking about education for most of, most of this uh, session. It's really about putting, putting the emphasis on, how you educate that person, you know, for me to be able to share how I was raised, how I was taught to work, the things that I was taught to look for, just, you know, how, even down to how you speak. I mean, which is something that's hugely important for me today. And I listen to this all the time is how people are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And I see such a hole in that game, you know, just like yesterday. You know, we're sitting at Whole Foods and, and I'm you're asking the gal and I could before she even said anything, I knew it was going to be something that would somewhat make me cringe. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, even though she wasn't directing her responses to me, she was directing them to you, man. Um, <clears throat> but I cringed because I was like, I wouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. There's no way in God's green earth I would have said what she said. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, it just it wasn't inviting. You know, what I mean, and I think that gets that gets lost in all of that, that you're still trying to present something that's appetizing even from a mental aspect and that's just that goes to training and like i said we're not talking about teenagers and college students we're talking about people that are grown Mm -hmm. that still that still in 
this dicey area in the in the customer uh, service provider uh, dynamic that there's a missing piece there. And I'm like, I, I mean, I can see it nine times out of 10. I can see it before it happens. And it's scary because that's my gift. And it's also my curse, you know, but I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be I actually don't want to You know, like last night when that whole thing happened and it wasn't a big deal. But it wasn't enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it yeah, just wasn't. And yeah. you know, like I said, I'm still scratching my head about the you know because that's a place we go a lot is that the whole Whole Foods experience. Because I said that to you, I think last night, man. This is a multi-billion-dollar, you know, uh, entity, and you don't know how to have you don't. Somebody hasn't taken the time to talk to your folks about how they deal with the conflict. Because conflict's always going to be there, mm-hmm. but they seem to stub their toes week in and week out, and nobody's you know nobody's addressing it. Um, I know we know the manager, and he's a really cool guy, but my question is: so, what's your you know? I'm thinking you know I start to back it up. What what's his focus when it comes to his people? Because his people his people are a reflection of him, and that's what I start now. I'm starting to look at not just them, but I'm starting to look at him. Um, and like, what is, you know, I could do, you know, I'm, I'm, then I start to think I could do your job. Then I, the other question is, but do I want to do your job? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know all the other dynamics behind it. You know, what he's being mandated to do, what's his focus and his, you know, org chart, you know, on, you know, his things to do list. What's, what's the priority, um, for me what I've seen and we're from using this particular case model, I see an easy fix, but that's just, that's me. You know, I mean, another guy, somebody else might see something even entirely different, but to me it's something that, uh, some training and some emphasis and a whole lot of conversation, uh, can put this thing back on the road. Cause I'm telling you sometimes when it manifests itself, it's kind of ugly to watch. Mm-hmm. And it definitely takes away from my personal experience um, when I'm patronizing this place. So that's something that I think is key. And it's always, that has always been, what I, my point is, that has always been something that is very important to me, how my people represent me as a person, but also me as an organization. And that's a, because I think that the dollars follow that. Yeah, I agree. I really, and I think that a lot of people think, oh, we got, you know, we, we got what we got. And they'll overlook, yeah, they'll overlook it for a while. You know what I mean? In a lot of cases, they'll stop overlooking it when it becomes unbearable. Or they get into one particular exchange that just basically sends them over the edge. And they're like, I'm done. I'm not I'm not patronizing this place. Or they selectively patronize this place. Or they just stop altogether. Yeah. But to see, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I see this time in and time out, day in and day out. And I'm like, Am I the only one that sees this? Because yeah. this is crazy. This is just absolutely crazy. Yep, I agree with you. So let me give you my perspective on it. Uh, and, and both of you shared some great points. Uh, I think from a, a culture standpoint, one of the things that we have to just remember at the end of the day is we are, as human beings, we have feelings right? All of us. So whether you're a customer, whether you're an employee, whether you're management, there are feelings that are associated with with everything. Uh, so getting to under, to know that piece of it, as, as Vince was saying, 
um, you know, they might not be having the best day and why, why are they in this space? Uh, so getting to ask those questions so you have a better feel for who your people are as individuals. It's not just employee number 27. They're more than that. And I think companies do have to do a better job of, of making sure that they do those types of things. Uh, and then asking the questions of, as I said, is it a paycheck? Yes. But what is it you really want out of this job, this career, this company uh, today, tomorrow, next year, five years? And to bring those conversations into the, the fold as well so you do get a better feel for what the mindset is. Because it changes my mindset when people start to ask me those questions because I don't feel like I'm just employee number 27 when you start to ask those types of questions. Uh, so I wrap all of that up into something that I call which is kind of falling off the table for what reasons I don't know, but what I call motivational fit. You know, you have an employee, they have to have a certain skill set and the ability to do X, Y, and Z. But what is their motivational fit as an individual to fit into your organizational structure, your values, your goals, your mission as a company? So that's twofold, right? So now you as a company need to have clearly defined, clearly understood mission statements and values and goals and objectives that the company has. Now you need to go out from a motivational fit standpoint and not only find people that have the skill sets you need, but the best possible motivational fit for what it is you're trying to do as a culture too. So trying to marry all of that together is, is a challenge, but that's how I see it. And from a priority standpoint, figuring what those two silos are and then getting them together is, I think, the, the key component to it all. How that happens, that'll be something that we can talk about uh, as part of our next session. Because we, as I said, this is going to be, this is part one. We'll be doing a part two where we dig a little bit deeper into some of the organizational structure things and some of the other things that we can start to do from an equity, equality, and, uh, and other things standpoint to make your organization stronger. Final thoughts from either, either one of you. Anything that you want to share before we wrap up today? All right. You go, Chris. Well, I think really at the end of the day, from for me, and I always say that for me, um, for me, it really, you know, I, I have some goals and objectives. I think we all do. But the thing that I actually am trying to accomplish in Let's just say we've talked about this, the back nine of my life. We'll get back to that. It's another another discussion. But I'm really trying to be teacher, trainer, mentor, confidant. Those are the three, the four things that I really try to really try to accentuate when I'm bringing people on board. I've got people underneath me, people that are working for me. I'm trying to prepare them. I actually want first and foremost, I want them to do the job that I'm hiring them for. But secondary to that is my belief system says you probably won't be with me forever. But so I want to I want to do everything in my power to get you ready for the next step, the next stop in your journey. I want to equip you. I want to give you some new tools. Um, I want to make you that more competent person and, and, and being that strong link in the chain of society. Uh, I know that might sound a little cheesy, but that's, I honestly believe that. Um, and that's what, that's what motivates me to get up on certain days is that I get a chance to share something, share some experiences, um, good, bad, and the, good, bad, and the ugly, but I get to share it all with you. 
and hopefully that gives you an opportunity who, who you know uh, whoever this person is that that's working for me it gives them an opportunity to move when they as they move forward in life they get a chance to hopefully do the same things which is share share some of those experiences um i actually think that this is a there's a little bit of a departure here i i've been having these thoughts lately about i used to be a horrible boss and that's my that's my that's not what some employee told me that's my own feelings like because i went from being the guy that was a yeller and it was a you know it was a dictatorship type mentality and i get it it all can't be a democracy you know what i mean so let's be clear let's be clear on that it cannot all be a democracy but i really think that it's about creating the idea of teams and and um organizations that are trying to do something good and positive while making money mm-hmm. agreed vince what about you what are your final thoughts for today you know for me personally you know this is something that's obviously as chris was kind of alluding to you know no we're not all perfect and no one in this realm talking about culture and values and leadership and defining you know we're all trying to figure out ourselves as we go through this and i think the great thing about it is just knowing that we're not alone in this journey Mm. and you know that whole being a vulnerable piece is really important and there's a lot of really amazing groups out there that can support this. You know, there's a lot of references. I, I dove really deep into the research side and seeing what else is out there. And I feel like for folks that are trying to figure out their own style, figure out their own culture, figure out their own values, and then how that defines into leading their professional life too, especially, especially if you're in decision-making power, you know, that's, that's tough. So there's a reason why I was really attracted to, you know, concepts like design thinking. There's a reason why I'm, you know, in organizations and a part of leadership programs like uh, HAPA and et cetera. And, and, you know, you just gotta, gotta know it. You gotta, you gotta do your research. You gotta find out, you gotta find other communities. You gotta ask questions. And, uh, and as you go through this all, you know, just, just give yourself a little bit more uh, room and kindness because at the end of the day, you know, we only have this, this, you know, kind of life and uh, yeah, we just have to enjoy it. Yeah. 100%. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for joining. And like I said, this is part one of two. I, I look forward to diving into the, the second half of this. And there's, there's so much to talk about and, and to think about. It really opens your eyes to um, what can be done, what needs to be done. And, you know, at our age and our stage and, you know, some of the different things we are trying to accomplish, it really also, uh, I think, brings a focus to how we can try to get more engaged, become more involved and be more of an influence, move things in these directions of as what we've shared and talked about today. So I just wanted to wrap up with that and say thank you very much. It's, it's been awesome. And until we, we don't have a confirmed date for part two yet. But uh, we'll get that scheduled and we'll certainly get it publicized so the world knows. But until next time, I would like to say thank you guys for joining. Get out, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll certainly talk with you soon. Take care. Take care of each other. Bye now.